Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to the show, fellow ridiculous historians. We wanted to open today with a question. And I don't know um, the most diplomatic way to phrase this, but what's the ballsiest thing you ever did? Well, Ben, today's episode's all about diplomacy. So <laughs> you really set the tone properly. Ballsy, you asking the audience? You asking me? I'm asking the audience and I'm asking you, Noel. Ballsiest thing I ever did. And super producer Casey Pegram. Feel free to chime in. Again, for the three of us, it might be a little bit different because we have a caveat. We're saying the, the ballsiest thing we ever did that we're willing to admit on air. Mm, that narrows the pool a little bit, my mm-hmm. friend. Um, I don't know. I once, uh, gosh, when you put it like that, Ben, I just don't have a good answer. Maybe, it really makes me feel like I've squandered my life. No way, no. We're, we're living lives full of strange and ridiculous adventure, although it always does feel weird to say ridiculous on this show, a little on the nose. But the reason that we were thinking about this off air is that today's episode is about a very, very, let's say, self-confident guy full of chutzpah who played a uh, an instrumental role in American history. And when we say America, we mean the continents. South American, North American history. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a guy that a lot of people don't know about. I didn't know about him. I didn't know about him either. I know, I knew, I knew of his, his type. Oh, his type? Yeah. Yeah. You know, imperialist swine. Right. Yeah. Uh, expansionist soldiers of fortune. Yeah. Cause who knew? There apparently was a time where you could just kind of take it upon yourself to, you know, go forth and conquer other countries. Yeah. With nothing but a, you know, a, a wish and a, and a dream and a posse of yeah. like-minded reprobates. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. we. I was thinking about that too. So imagine if you would. Uh, have you ever been on vacation somewhere and thought, you know what? I'm just going to take a the flag of another country, post it in the ground here, and declare myself in charge. 
Have you ever thought about that? I've never seriously thought about it. No. Doesn't seem like those rules apply anymore. I think there's a little more paperwork, yeah. Yeah. But back in the time of William Walker, there wasn't really. That's the subject of today's show, William Walker. Could you give us a little introduction to this guy, Noel? Yeah, he he grew up in a pretty um, affluent family uh, in, in your neck of the woods, Ben, in Nashville, Tennessee, mm-hmm. or as they say around those ways, Nashville. Mm-hmm. Was that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And he did everything from like, he studied fencing, I want to say, <laughs> and he went to the University of Nashville where he graduated at the top of his class by the age of 14, um, which is nuts. And then uh, he earned a degree in medicine. Mm-hmm. And then he also, you know, had a, as if that wasn't enough, he got a law degree. And he was technically. No, not technically. In actual facts, a, a, both a lawyer and a doctor. Mm-hmm. So a law doctor. Mom and dad were proud. Let's just put it that way. Right. And he did, uh, as I think we may have mentioned, come from a prestigious family. One of his uncles was John Norville, a senator from Michigan, founder of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, he had sort of a silver spoon life, but he was also a very smart guy. And the thing was, he was very self-assured. He practiced law, but not for a very long time, because after he was practicing law in Philadelphia, he quit and he moved to New Orleans, where he became the editor and co-owner of an outfit called the New Orleans Crescent, a paper of note. And then that still wasn't enough, so he moved to San Francisco. And in San Francisco, he was a journalist, and his fencing also came into play. Is that right? Well, sort of. I'm pretty sure he he shot people, but he wasn't three duels. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Because he he was a bit of a notorious trash talker, wasn't he? Yes. Uh, he wrote these <laughs> columns, and um, there mm-hmm. were a few notable figures who he got into some pretty serious beefs with. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. He was a he was quite a bantam figure because he was only five feet two inches tall, but apparently he would fill a room. One of his duels that gained national attention the first time he really broke out in the public sphere was when he had a duel with a guy named William Hicks Graham on January 12th, 1851 in San Fran. Yeah, I think Graham was known as something of a gunslinger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So at the time, Walker was the editor of the San Francisco Herald. Graham was technically, for his day job, a clerk employed by Judge R.N. Morrison. And the thing is, as you said, Noel, Graham was also a notorious gunslinger, Mm -hmm. which you could do that back in these days. You could be, in the 1850s, both a clerk for a judge and a well-known gunsman. Gunsman is a word I just made up. I'm I'm into it, Ben. I support that. So so what happened with this? So uh, Walker... As the editor of, of said newspaper of note, was talking some trash about this judge, R.N. Morrison. Mm-hmm. And dueling, this is, you gotta remember, this is the time of like the California gold rush and like, you know, Deadwood and stuff like that, right? Yeah. You know? This uh, is also, I mean, it, it says it explicitly in books that we checked out for the show, like Age of the Gunfighter. At the time, dueling was a popular means of settling disputes in California. Though not technically legal, right? I mean, we're pretty far out west at this time. That's true. That's true. But so this is the funny part. Uh, It was such a popular thing that the judge actually had his clerks draw straws to see who would duel on his behalf to, Mm. 
you know, defend his honor. They were beefed up, yeah. That just seems really cowardly, but I guess, you know, I, I, I wouldn't do that for, for my boss. No, I don't, but I don't think we're in a very pro-dueling environment. Well, Not, and again, Hicks yeah. was a, a, you know, he was fond of this pastime, right? Yeah, William Hicks Graham uh, had already taken part in numerous duels in the time of the Old and Wild West. And Walker had had some duels before, but the kind of duels he had were duels where you use a single-shot revolver. And so you can, if you just want to defend your honor but not hurt someone, not going to say where where this phrase is popular from. I don't want to spoil the musical for everyone, but you can just throw away your shot, shoot in the air Mm. with a single-shot firearm. But this fight was a little bit different because it was waged with revolvers, Colts specifically. Yeah, and they had five shots, and all of them were fired, and Walker took a bullet through... I don't think it actually injured him, but it went through the leg, as this as this uh, uh, book describes, through the leg of his pantaloons. <laughs> and then he also got one. Oh, he did get one in the thigh. Um, and the funny thing is, is that Graham got charged with aggravated assault because this was, in fact, an illegal activity. Yeah. He was later found not guilty in no small part, I think, because while Walker was shot, he was not seriously injured, right? That's what that's what I found. Uh, also, he, from what I understand, Graham walked away without a scratch. Like he uh, he got two shots off, and Walker didn't even manage to fire a shot at Graham. And so, when he was wounded, Walker eventually conceded. And as you said, Noel, Graham was arrested but found not guilty. And one of the strangest things about this, I, I, I this. Research maybe want to trace the life of William Hicks Graham because in the books we're reading about this duel, Graham goes on to fight other duels pretty much like immediately after he gets the not guilty verdict. Oh yeah, he's 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 thirsty for these uh, these gunfights, <laughs> and it sort of uh, shows the kind of attitude this dude had about going out and conquering stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, and I want to correct myself there because I said he wasn't seriously wounded, but I found conflicting reports. Reports of the time described it as a trifling wound, but later historical reports described it as a very serious wound. Hmm. I've always assumed a gunshot is a serious wound. I would assume so. Well, assumptions aside, one thing that is great about this duel is despite the fact that he lost the duel, William Walker, as we said, uh, becomes known in the public sphere. He's in the papers. You know what I mean? Lawyer, duelist, William Walker. Not walking for a while. That's cute, man. They were very cute papers at the time. Uh, So this is just some background about this guy. He's well off. He's a hothead. He's also not shy about his opinions, both his opinions on slavery He's very much in favor of it, Uh, his opinions on the expansion of the United States and his opinion on how to apply his patriotism. Yeah, and he got a little bit of inspiration from some stuff that was going on in Cuba. Mm -hmm. There was a dude named Narcisco Lopez uh, who was born in Venezuela, and and this was in 1850, by the way, Um, and he gathered up a band of mercenaries to 
basically try to conquer part of Cuba. And then make it part of the U.S. Make it part of the U.S. Like, is that annexing it? What, do you, what is that? That, is, that would be annexing it if it were an authorized state action. That's the thing. This guy just kind of took it upon himself <laughs> yeah. to do it. And uh, Walker liked, liked the cut of his particular jib and said, huh, interesting. I, I, I want to try something like that. And this was known as filibustering. For a lot of, a lot of us listening in the U.S. right now, today, 2018, as we record this, in case you happen to be listening 3,000 years in the future, for a lot of us, filibustering today only describes the political practice wherein uh, in a, a congressperson will try to put off certain voting actions by just talking forever. Yeah, like we do. On this podcast, <laughs> we're good. We get to the point. Yeah, we know we, we do, but we're, but we're, but I feel like I could be accomplishing so much stuff if I wasn't always just talking into a microphone. I mean, you could say that about anything. That's think, true. Think how many hours a day we spend sleeping. That's fair. That's like a third of your life. Wow, when you put it like that. <laughs> but uh, these weird statistics aside, and these strange definitions aside, filibustering at the time described this specific practice illegally going into a foreign country or land and taking it over by force with a, usually with a posse of mercenaries or like-minded people native to the region, and then declaring that land part of the United States. One of the big inspirations for this is the state of Texas. They had broken off from Mexico a few years before, and they were held up as an example of the practice of, of Americans going out, taking over an area, and then later making it a state. And filibustering, although illegal in the U.S., had wide popular support because we have to remember this is full-on expansionist mode. You know what I mean? Sea to shining sea. Oh, yeah. I mean, manifest that destiny. <laughs> right? Young man. So where did, where did Walker go? Yeah, so uh, Walker set his sights uh, down Mexico way, specifically um, a couple of states, one of which was uh, Baja, California, mm-hmm. which was actually in Mexico, and Sonora. And there weren't a ton of folks living there at the time. So he gathered a posse of, I think, around 50 men, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, you know, marched his way on in there. And he was able to take La Paz, which is the capital of Baja, mm-hmm. and he raised his own flag— that he had designed himself, which I think had like three parallel stripes on it. <laughs> and um, yeah, and you know, he, it's like you said earlier, you sort of put down his, uh, his, his flag and, and said, this is mine now. The chutzpah alone. Yeah, he named, he renamed the area the Republic of Lower California, declared himself president, and then said, the new legal system will be, uh, we'll ju- we're just going to use the laws of the state of Louisiana. And lest you think he is some sort of Indiana Jones type lovable rogue character, uh, we should mention that there's a reason he wanted to use the laws of the state of Louisiana. He wanted to use those laws because they included legalized slavery. He was, again, very pro-slavery And word spread in the U.S. Just imagine people saying, you know, remember that editor, that hot-headed editor from San Francisco who disappeared for a while? Well, it turns out he took over Baja, California for the U.S. And he had this massive wave 
of public support. People would read about this story and then go volunteer to join him as a, a member of his military force in the Republic of Lower California. And this is where he got a, a really weird nickname. You're talking about the gray-eyed man of destiny? Yeah, it doesn't quite roll off the tongue. I think it's great. I, I, would, I would love if people called me that, the gray-eyed man of destiny. It's, it's a lot to say. It feels like it's good to read it in print. I just said it twice, and I love the way it sounds, so I respectfully disagree with you, Ben. Of course, of course, to each their own, and noted. Now, I don't think his vice president got a nickname. That was his former law partner, Henry P. Watkins. We should also mention that when he was filibustering in Mexico, he didn't just try to take over the Baja California territory. He took over another sparsely populated area, the Sonora State. Yeah, and I I do want to say, speaking of diplomacy, he did start off this whole thing by asking the uh, Mexican government to let him make a colony in these areas mm-hmm. that were kind of sparsely populated. Um, and he, he referred to it, according to this article from History Is Now magazine, uh, that he wanted to create a buffer zone between yeah. Native American and American territories. So Mexico said no, and uh, he decided to go forth with his wild plan. And like uh, Gregor McGregor from our earlier show, he funded his project by selling script that was redeemable in the state of Sonora. Oh, wow. That he would create. So even more ballsy. Seriously, seriously. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. 
Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So yeah, he 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 so he, he uh, staked his claim in La Paz and also in Baja and also in Sonora. And it didn't all go smoothly. Obviously, he moved his headquarters twice over the next ninety days or something. Once to Cabo San Lucas and then once a little further north to Ensenada, because he knew that it would be a really close fight if the Mexican government was able to raise forces to attack. And he actually didn't get control of Sonora. He just sort of started saying that the Republic of Lower California was part of the larger Republic of Sonora, Mm -hmm. even though he didn't actually control it. It's kind of like, it's like, imagine if we declared ourselves the emperors of Birmingham, Alabama despite the fact that we're not in Birmingham, Alabama. That's kind of what happened. Yeah, that sounds about right. And there was a notable series of attacks that he lost, which further adds, Noel, to the one of the themes in this guy's life, which is talking a big game and then getting his keister handed to him. One of those relocations he took was a consequence of him losing a skirmish to General Manuel Marquez de Leon. and so. He was eventually forced to retreat from Mexico entirely. So it's 1854, and the gray-eyed man of destiny has sort of rallied some troops to support him. He actually was able to get around 200 Mexicans to back him up, along with another couple hundred folks from San Francisco who thought this scheme of his, you know, had had legs. But, you know, as megalomaniacs often do, mm-hmm. uh, he, he didn't really plan this thing out very well. They didn't have enough supplies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the folks that were helping him started getting restless. And the Mexican government wasn't having it. And they were able to really make things pretty uncomfortable for the uh, occupying forces there in La Paz. Right. So at the same time, this is getting domestic support in the U.S. with hundreds of people um, wanting to join the expedition, raising the flag of the Republic of Sonora in different streets in the U.S. Things are getting increasingly hairy for Walker and co. down there in Baja, California. And, Noel, you mentioned earlier that the supplies were an issue, right? There's There's a strange thing that happens. He has a ship named the Caroline, they're supposed to wait on shore or bring him the ammo and the and the foodstuffs he needs to continue surviving the conflict. And this ship sails away with most of his supplies. And then when 200 more recruits arrive from San Francisco, his supplies are already so low he can't feed them. He can't arm them. Wait, so they just bailed on him with his with his stuff? The ship just left. So yeah. it was like they were deserting, basically. They were like, This is this is it, we're done, and we're taking your ship and your supplies and you know, 
go F yourself. So the most diplomatic way I found it was in an article from the Virtual Museum of the City of San Francisco by Fanny Judah that says, for some unknown reason, his vessel, the Caroline, sailed away with the greater part of his supplies. So when these people show up, he sends a group of them toward Todos Santos Bay on a foraging expedition, and he says, you know, find us some food to eat, find us some cattle, etc. They get in a fight with the natives, this band does, because those people don't want to give up their stuff in return for scrip, again, the fake money that you can redeem in Sonora, which he does not control. And since they were running low on food, they couldn't get their plundering done successfully, the men began to desert. Walker starts arresting them. Uh, He shoots two of them. He has two others publicly flogged, and this makes him even less popular, so much so that um, he only had 100 men when he started walking for Sonora or moving on Sonora, and by the time they reached the Colorado River, there were only 35 people with him. He's hemorrhaging support staff. You're just dropping like flies, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not a good look. Not, not a good, good look for a leader and a conqueror. Right. Which is why, you know, I think Gray-Eyed Man of Destiny is a good nickname. I just don't think he deserves it. Here's the thing, though, Ben. I didn't realize this. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about how the, the laws were different and how it was a little bit easier just to kind of like, you know, go forth and, and conquer. But it was, in fact, illegal. Just, just like dueling. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was widely done, and I guess you know it was just kind of like if you don't get caught. But filibustering was illegal, and after this debacle, and he returned back to San Francisco, he and his uh, remaining ten dudes or whatever got arrested by the army, right for violation of U.S. neutrality laws. Exactly. So how did this how did this trial actually go? I wonder if he was able to represent himself. He was a lawyer, right? He was a doctor, lawyer, doctor, duelist. Doctor, lawyer, duelist, imperialist, conqueror. Man. His business card must have been extra long. Do you think it was bone? Oh, he yeah, with a watermark. watermark. Yeah. 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 Bone white. So the thing is, yes, he is arrested. He's tried for these multiple violations of U.S. neutrality laws. But in the U.S., the population is still supportive of him. The trial goes to a jury. They list all the charges. Prosecution makes their argument. Defense makes their argument. To your point, Noel, I would be fascinated to know whether he represented himself. And the jury leaves to deliberate. They come back eight minutes later. And what do you think happened? They let him go, right? Yeah, he's acquitted of all charges. He's a true American. Do you think it's because of of the chutzpah you keep talking about, Ben? Do you think people were just like, you know, this guy is a real American? (laughs) <laughs> and why would we put him away for just doing what Americans do, which is, you know, going out and conquering the wilds? I think it was, you know, I think there's something to it, honestly, because I believe that the public support for manifest destiny and expansionism was at such a fever pitch that people were maybe having conversations where they said, well, there's a difference between what's right and what's legal sometimes, right? And so after he gets away unscathed through this adventure attempting to capture Baja California and Sonora, he says, you know what, I'm going to go back to practicing law a little bit. I've got a reputation. Maybe I'll just go uh, be a lawyer. And that lasts a little less than a year. Oh, I'm sorry. I just want to interject really quick, Ben. I remembered something. Mm. Um, The reason we don't hear about him practicing medicine is because as a right out of medical school, he saw his mother die 
Oh, wow. Uh, very horribly. So he was traumatized. And he was so. traumatized and turned away from ever practicing medicine. So that's why the whole doctor-lawyer thing didn't didn't work out. He, didn't uh, really, he couldn't really do the combo there. That's but a tragedy. Please go on. Well, I'm setting you up to tell uh, one of the strangest turns in the story, right? He got away unscathed from his ill-fated adventures in Baja, California, and Sonora. And he says, you know what? I'm going to go practice law again. And that lasts for about a year. And then he gets that itch. He that, gets that that, that, that that conquering itch. Yes, he gets that filibuster itch. Ooh, he's, he needs to be filibustering every day. Filibustering, mm-hmm. and so he sets his sights on Nicaragua. Weird. It's really, really far, 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 far away from San Francisco. You know, Mexico made sense. You know, on the on the border, and it's sparsely populated. He also, by the way, he gets a lot of public support because he's saying that he's setting up this buffer colony to protect people from the Apache. That's right. That's right, because it was during the gold rush, and there was a lot of, like, these little settlements there and Indian attacks and the like. But not the case with Nicaragua. For this, this was purely exploitative on his part because Nicaragua was having some serious problems. They were, like, in the uh, absolute throes of of a horrible civil war. And there were these factions that were trying to control the government of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were the uh, Leonese and the Grenadans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Leonese were more liberal and the Grenadans were more conservative. And if I butcher that pronunciation, I don't know. I, I know just, you got it. I, I just don't even care anymore, Ben. You did a, you did a good I job. I just don't care. Hey, chin up, man. You're no, doing... no, I'm good. I just, I just really, you know, pronunciations uh, be damned. Well, also, English is a living language. Well, that's just a, that's just a thing dumb people say that mispronounce words. Are you accusing me? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I think you're just trying to make me feel better. No, no, it is. It is a living language. I mean, look, when's the last time you heard filibustering described in this way? That's a very good the point. The word has changed over time? I have never heard it, actually, because we thought, I mean, I, it's not even in the, the, the Webster's definition. We're, yeah, we got to bring it back. I'm going to start filibustering places. Yeah. Like our local bar across yeah. the street. That is that just where to? you hang out for a really long time? I think that. don't leave? I think the main thing is I need a flag. It seems like flags are really key here. I need yeah. a, I need a, so if you were a good vexologist, which is the fancy word for flag lover. Is expert, that right? Yeah. A vexologist? That's right. No, vexillologist. If you are a vexillologist, one who is uh, very familiar with the study of history, symbolism, and usage of flags, then hit us up and let us know what kind of flags we should have. I'm open to ideas. Are you on board with this? I don't want to pigeonhole you, no. No, man, pigeonhole away. Okay. I'm malleable. I will bend to your whims. You're a gray-eyed man of destiny. No, I, that's you, buddy. I would. I, I, I will follow you to the ends of the earth. I would much prefer that you take the nickname uh, gray-eyed man of destiny over this Walker character. Oh, that's very kind, man. But you can be the power behind the gray-eyed throne. Man, I just want a filibuster. <laughs> Which sounds like we haven't learned our lesson. We're mostly joking, except, you know, let us know if you have a good idea for a flag. So, Walker is aware of this situation that, Noel, you just described in Nicaragua. The Granada faction, the more conservative faction, is at the time winning. Winning so hard, like winning to the nth degree, and the Leonese seem set for defeat. Walker sees an opportunity in this chaos. And this is, again, we have to remember, these are the days before the Panama Canal. So a lot of shipping went through Nicaragua. It was a it was a tremendously important crossroads for 
for trade. Wasn't this uh, kind of masterminded by Cornelius Vanderbilt, who was like the the railroad tycoon? That trade position? Well, he, I, yeah. think, I think he sort of had the idea of, of building this canal, and he wanted to connect, uh, you know, the Caribbean with the Pacific Ocean. And so Walker, knowing this, saw what a strategic stronghold mm-hmm. economically mm-hmm. the Nicaragua was and decided to roll the dice and offered his assistance to the Leonese, right? Yes, he's, he offered his assistance, and he did it with very sketchy support from the U.S. government. So he says, I'm going to get down there. I'm going to get with the Leonese, use them to augment my fighting forces. We're going to take over Nicaragua for America. Who's with me? Who's with me? Kind of like that scene in Half-Baked. Yeah, how many were with him, Ben? 60. 60 people said, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Is that enough? That's not enough. I'm, not, I'm, I'm no, uh, you know, master of war, but that, that seems a little on the light side. We have never, in fact, purposely filibustered, but just ballparking, that seems, yeah, that seems low. So here's the thing, though. Here's what the sketchy support was. He's got these 60 people and says, okay, we're going to set sail. It's 1855 by this time, and the United States Marshal tries to prevent Walker and his men from leaving, but the federal officials who earlier tacitly supported him in his quest to take over parts of Mexico, they're still on his side. In fact, before he sets sail, Walker meets with a guy named General Wool, who is the military commander of the Pacific Coast. And Wool had special powers granted from the president to suppress all filibustering expeditions. But this guy, this guy meets with Walker. Walker says, yeah, I'm going to go take over Nicaragua for America. I'm going to make it like its own thing first, but then I'm going to hand it off to the U.S. And the general hears this plan, and he says, you know what? Not only am I not going to interfere, but break a leg, buddy. Mm -hmm. I wish you well. Yeah. Totally. I got a question for you, Ben. Yeah. In all of this, how how is he benefiting? Like, uh, is he is he cashing in on on all of these exploits? Like, or is he just totally power mad and just wants to like be the king of a country? Yeah, it's I, I, it's tough for us to ascribe motive. We know he didn't come from uh, impoverished means no. or anything. I just think he was obsessed and driven and like mm-hmm. just like kind of to a completely uh, self destructive level. Yeah, I think he just really dug power. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. So I think you are right, Noel. I think you're right. I think it, he, it was about the power for him. It was about the drive to conquer and to rule. As soon as they land in San Juan del Sur, he starts to flex his muscles. He's got his 60 people with him, and he's got those Leonese troops. And he starts fighting the Granada faction at the Battle of Rivas. And because he wins the day for the Leonese. Or, he gets another title, doesn't he? He gets yeah. another. Uh, yeah. Well, not, 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 not a nickname. This is, this is almost an official title. Generalissimo. Generalissimo. And he's a white man. It's easy. From, from, from Nashville. <laughs> right. Right. I it's, imagine. I just, it's so crazy how he found himself in this situation. I just don't understand. Mm -hmm. Like the impulse to do that. Maybe I'm just, my brain doesn't work like this. But yeah, so he's Generalissimo now, and he declares himself to be the new president of Nicaragua. Chutzpah. Mm. <laughs> For days. Yeah, and the population of the U.S. hears about this, and they love it. And soon, pro-slavery advocates begin trying to recruit more people to help with this cause in Nicaragua. Large southern cities host public meetings and fundraisers, and Walker begins to really settle in and make himself comfortable. And this is where he makes a powerful enemy. And Noel, I'm so glad you mentioned this guy earlier. We had a little foreshadowing. Yeah, this Vanderbilt character does not play um, because I believe that uh, Generalissimo El Presidente Walker <laughs> yeah. did not allow his ships to travel through like we were saying before, he saw the strategic power of controlling Nicaragua. So I guess, yeah, there, there was money. He, he was getting, he was, I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. he, he had to have been cashing in on this. No, no question about it. Because he had such power that he was actually able to revoke the deal with uh, Vanderbilt's company. Yeah, the Vanderbilt Steamship Company. That's right, to allow them to travel through that very important mm -hmm. um, region. 
for getting from, you know, the Caribbean to the Pacific Ocean. This is before the Panama Canal, right? Yes, yeah, this is before the Panama Canal. And to add insult to injury, Walker gives that right of transit uh, to a guy named Edmund Randolph, a competitor of Vanderbilt's, for a term of 25 years. And then, as soon as he's consolidating his power, he reverses the anti-slavery laws that Nicaragua had had for the last 32 years. And because this guy is essentially reinstituting slavery, revolts begin to break out. Also, there's a, there's a puppeteer uh, helping strengthen and augment these acts of revolt. It's Vanderbilt, the owner of the steamship company. This has become a proxy war for him. Dang. This guy's making waves. <laughs> he is. He is. Uh, and Costa Rica declares war against Walker as well. Things just go, go to pot. They go pear-shaped pretty quickly. And you, you know, it's not hard to see why if somebody came in and took over a U.S. state and reinstituted slavery, right, and then angered the largest corporations in the area, of course things would be incredibly unsustainable. And so after about two years, as a result of these various conflicts in May of 1857, Walker has to surrender. He has to leave Nicaragua until that is... He convinces people to join him on his second Nicaragua campaign. So he's in Mobile, Alabama, and he organizes the second Nicaragua expedition. How did he get to Mobile? Where did that come into play? It's when he left Nicaragua. He just beelined it for Mobile? He went back to the States. He was forced by Central American armies and the government of Costa Rica to surrender to uh, U.S. Navy Commander Charles Henry Davis. And so he was taken back to New York City. And then when he got to New York, at first, there was fanfare. You know, imagine the confetti, the applause. People were like, this guy's a real American hero. But then the public turned against him when he said, the only reason I lost is because of the U.S. Navy. Also, he was using very dirty tactics in the war. He was uh, purposefully contaminating water wells with corpses. Ugh. Yeah, he's waging biological war. That's awful. Caused a cholera epidemic. What a guy. What a guy. And so now the, the U.S. public is starting to turn against him. He goes from New York, makes his way down to Mobile, Alabama, starts his second Nicaragua expedition, and then he gets arrested by the U.S. Navy under the command of a guy named Commodore Hiram Paulding. Gets returned to the U.S. again, writes a book, War in Nicaragua, published in 1860, and then he goes back. But this time he says, you know what? If Nicaragua didn't work, if Baja California didn't work, there's another place I can try. Let's try old Honduras. <laughs> old Honduras. Old Honduras. With the same, you know, the same designs in mind as he's had the whole time. This guy's just got, like, stars in his eyes about his, his conquering. I, I just, I still want to know, like, how, how, is he, how is he benefiting from this? It sure seems like he's putting himself in harm's way, you know? I, yeah. I just think he maybe just got off on the... On the chaos? On the chaos, I guess. Yeah, this is very interesting. Very interesting character. Doesn't seem like he was doing much to institute sustainable government after he took over. No. Or even had any real plans on how to do it. He just right. wanted to declare himself the president. He just wanted to be important. You know what I mean? But all this bad behavior mm -mm. finally caught up with him in the form of a uh, firing squad. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. 
So after he's organized this other expedition, uh, put it together in New Orleans, set sail for Central America, he lands near Trochillo in Honduras, and he's still thinking, you know what, eventually I'm going to get to Nicaragua. But his men probably thinking, we have heard this before. They desert him. So eventually, as he is probably trying to take over Nicaragua, he has to surrender himself to the captain of a British naval vessel that was nearby off the coast. This guy, Commander Noel Salmon, who would later become Admiral Sir Noel Salmon, for reasons that aren't completely clear, decided that instead of returning Walker to the U.S., he was just going to deliver him to the authorities of Honduras, along with his chief of staff, Colonel A.F. Rutler. Rudler was sentenced to four years hard labor in the mines here in Honduras, which in many ways was a death sentence. But as he said, Walker met a different fate. Yeah, and, and we've got a really good account of it from the New York Times, published in uh, October 5th of 1860 by John E. Norville. And this is how he describes it. He marched from his cell to the place of execution with a steady step and unshaken mien. A chair had been placed for him with his back toward the castle. Having taken his seat, he was blindfolded. Three soldiers stepped forward to within 20 feet of him and discharged their muskets. The balls entered his body and he leaned a little forward, but it being observed that he was not dead, a fourth soldier mercifully advanced so close to the suffering man that the muzzle of the musket almost touched his forehead, and being there discharged, scattered his brains and skull to the winds. Thus ends the life of the gray-eyed man of destiny. And I have to make this joke, Ben. Hmm. They were using musket balls. You live by the balls, you die, die by, by the, by balls. the balls. Oh, that's so good. Mm-hmm. Were you planning on that? Just, just, that just happened? Just, that just was great. Into my head. I had to, I had to, I had to, that's good I had to give it wings. Yeah, yeah, let it fly. And so this is the conclusion of the story of the the man, the myth, the monster, William Walker. Side note, I don't know if we mentioned this. Do you know how old he was when that firing squad got him? No, I don't. I didn't see that here, actually. 36 years old. Gee, he did all the— <laughs> He did all these terrible things in 36 years. Man, I just turned 35. I know, man. I've never conquered a country, even half successfully. Hey, you know what? Neither is he. Oh, that's so, true. So well, he, no, he was half successful. Uh, no? I don't know. No. I think he just raised a ruckus. Okay. And then he was never legally recognized by another country. But you know what? We've still we've still got time to start countries of our own, maybe on the moon when SpaceX gets his stuff together. But that's a story for another day. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the tale of William Walker. And stay tuned for our next episode when we break down the story of, what are they? No, monkey hangers? The, the Hartlepool monkey. Uh, <laughs> or why Hartlepoolians are known as monkey hangers. That's happening. <laughs> That's yes. happening with a vengeance, my friend. It is inevitable. In the meantime, uh, hit us up on the internet. Uh, we are ridiculous at HowStuffWorks.com. You can join our Facebook group at Ridiculous Historians mm-hmm. uh, on, on the Facebook. Um, all you got to do is name one of our names. That's, mm-hmm. that's it. That's the it's magic. a pretty low bar. Yeah, that's the magic entry question. And, and you know what? Even if you don't know or you say something clever, we'll still let you in. It's fine. Yeah, we like jokes. You're Noel. I'm Ben. That's Casey. That's us. Yeah. Oh, and we want to thank Casey, super producer Casey Pegram. We want to thank Alex Williams, who composed this track. Our research associates, Christopher Hasiotis and Eves Jeffcoat. And most importantly, you. 
out there in podcast land. Specifically yeah. you. Sure, and you too, Ben. Oh, uh, you uh, too, you know, Noel. You really, uh, you really carried me on this one, I got to say. And uh, I appreciate it. Oh, man. Uh, oh, last thing. Please, no, we're serious. Send us flag designs if you have one. Yeah. See you soon. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.